You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Why would I hit that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle! Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! Again. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown Six pass of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we're reviewing the regular season finale by the numbers and by the tape. Plus, we'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel and his Monday afternoon press conference from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is The Drive. That's another Miami Dolphins Kick it off first with the offense and the all 22 review. That's a wrap on the regular season for my tape watching. Uh, 18 game tapes in the Hoppa. We'll definitely be using that this offseason to go back and look at some stuff. But starting off at the quarterback position, as we do, and look, like it's just obvious when you put the tape on that you're seeing a rookie quarterback kind of learning the, you know, the the grooves of the NFL. There's not very much manipulation or moving defenders, stuff like that. The throw to Tyreek that was tipped and nearly picked on the deflection on that opening drive. That's a throw we've seen executed all year long, but his eyes took that hook backer right into the passing lane and nearly equal disaster for Miami. And that fourth down to open the game was also a miss where you have Tyreek running a hookup, which is just go to the sticks and hook up, or well, not the sticks, but go to the, the hook zone, the linebackers shell drop and show the quarterback your numbers. And he runs it right to the sticks to the side of the formation that has fewer Jets defenders in the boundary, despite the fact that it was the strong side of the formation for the offense. And that's where your progression should start on that. Pressure arrives, ball's got to come out because it's not a situation where it's like a tough read for the offense. You know, just based upon my knowledge of, of what I see here, it's the best wide receiver in the league at the three, the, ins- the furthest inside receiver to that strong side with Tampa two coverage and a free release. So you have a middle linebacker running out, deep safeties off the football, and nobody pressing up Tyreek runs to a vacancy, shows the quarterback his numbers. And it's, it's the exact same play the Lions put the game away against the Packers on Sunday night. The one that I think it was Amon Ross St. Brown just run to the vacancy. Goff found him. Boom. First down, game over. Exact same look. That's where the progression starts in every offense. These are the fine details that ultimately cost you plays, drives, and points off the scoreboard at the end of the day. I thought the first nice throw or nice play of the game was the third down conversion on the second drive. He did a good job to extend and eventually find Tyreek on a difficult throw. And that was a big spot. More on that in just a moment. Now, that said, Tyreek was, again, open on the pivot straight away. And this is why it's difficult to put together sustained drives on offense. We're not anticipating open windows you know, or opening vertically down the field. And we're not on time on what should be layups. It's just a tough way to make a living when you don't have that as part of your offense. Like the defense, it's the idea of taking what the defense gives you 
you're not taking what they give you and you're not explosive down the field, you're going to have days where you score nine points offensively and kick a bunch of field goals. Uh, his best throw of the day, for my money, was the wheel route to Durham Smythe early on in the game, and it was awesome spacing on a play that looked like it was quarters coverage to me with a three-man shell underneath and rushing just four. I, I can't know that for sure. But Waddle's flag, his corner route, uh, brings Sauce Gardner off the perimeter and then a flat from Jeff Wilson Jr. pulls the curl flat defender down, and that opens up the space to the wheel for Durham Smythe. And Skyler had immense pressure in his face, had to throw from a fadeaway position, and put the ball not just away from the defender and away from danger, but right where Durham could go up and get it. To me, that was the best play of his NFL career so far. The miscommunication on the snap that ruined the drive seemed like just that. Skyler making a check where he has both hands up to the helmet, and Connor Williams fires off a snap that just was had too much pepper on it and was high and wide. But a great job by Skyler, I thought, to fall on that ball because if he does not, it might have been a touchdown for the Jets going the other way. Miami could not afford that in this game. I really liked the third and four conversion, throwing on the move to Waddle on that out slash comeback. Good job getting outside of, of inside pressure. The the right the end off the offense's right side slanted across the face of Brandon Shell and beat him pretty good. But he throws an accurate ball on the move here to move the chains and a big play. Again, just going back to this, lots of late stuff. Uh, the out route to River Craycraft was way too late uh, in the third quarter. Or was it? Yeah, it was third quarter. The next drive in the fourth quarter, 9.36 to play. It's a third down and eight. And man, Tyreek runs right past the coverage, which busts because you see a man follow him in motion from one side of the formation to the other. And then he didn't run with him, which the Jets defenders were surprised by because nobody else did until it was kind of late for Gardner to get deep on him. And he's, he's two yards beyond Gardner and throw that ball as far as you can and let Tyreek go get it on the first play of the eventual game winning drive as well. Another situation, Waddle wide open on a deep out for a big gain, and Tyreek's open 15 yards down the field on a curl coming back down the stem. So there's just too much of that. But all things told, I think the appreciation for Skyler was him not making the back-breaking mistake. Like we have to understand what you expectations should be for players and grade him against that expectation. He dealt with a lot of pressure from the Jets. He extended and made just enough plays to get us into the winner's circle. That's what you ask for, I suppose, when you're down QB1. And when we've gone 2-8 and eight in the 10 games without two of the last two years, I mean, I think you have to kind of appreciate the two wins you do get. Well, I guess last year against the Texans, the five turnovers was not really notable. But this one, no turnovers, and that was kind of the difference in the game. Big job for, uh, for Skylar Thompson, and he executed as much as he had to. On the offensive line, I continue to marvel at the job that Rob Hunt does and the way he plays so in control. And because he's so aggressive and, you know, just gets some of his best blocks, the big hit blocks you'll see across the National Football League, the way he does that but stays on balance with knees over hips, hips over knees, shoulders over hips, and just finds a way to work into the strike zone, you know, the chest plate of his man, it's impressive. He's patient enough to let a slanting rusher cross his face and just make sure that his feet get there before his punch and allows him to thwart these moves in a way that looks totally effortless. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I've watched every single snap from every single guard to give you a full you know, power rankings on this, but I know what good football looks like, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find many guards with a better body of work the number 68 this season. A great year. Uh, just go watch Jeff Wilson's big run on that third and inches call. 
My man buries his dude and opens up a massive crease. Also got good seals from Shell, Smythe, and Long on the other side of the block to open that lane, but just was consistently making plays of this all game long. Second level blocks there again, pulling some action at right tackle. Like his second play at right tackle, he gets a pancake to seal the edge with great blocks from right guard Rob Jones and center Connor Williams as well to spring Wilson for 16 yards. You also got a great downfield block again from River Craycraft, but Hunt playing both those positions I think was so impressive. His right guard work is, is a lot more impressive than right tackle, but he was you know adequate at right tackle, I thought. Uh, Liam Eichenberg had some good work early in the running game, especially connecting on those first level catch and climb plays where he helps... Um, you know, either the left tackle or center, you know, engage the man that he originally catches and climbs from. But gosh, there was some some rough reps in pass pro, like forward lean punch fully extended out over his skis, where from that point, it's just swipe the hands away and throw them off balance. It's little resistance on one-on-one situations, and that's a spot you can't afford to lose that quickly and that badly against because, you know, guards and centers always surrender far fewer pressures than offensive tackles do by nature of the position and the space you have to defend. But this is a type of rep that you just can't have. Like it's a it's a play ender, it's a drive ender, it's a potential turnover type of situation, and we see it often. The deep shot from Skyler to Smythe, you know, run action where the left guard pulls to pick up the front side edge, and he just stops short of that landmark. It, you could have gotten that block, but we didn't get it. So it just needs to be more there. And it also, you know, left tackle and right tackle were not the best tapes either. Um, Brandon Shell, I thought before the injury was one of his rougher tapes and he had three tapes to me that were not great this year the two Jets games and the Vikings game otherwise pretty solid effort from Brandon Shell, but hopefully he can get back and healthy for the game next Sunday but this was not one of his better games uh, on the offensive line I thought Connor Williams is better in this game had some pressures on in pass pro but had some really big blocks in the running game and speaking of the running game the running backs we'll cover this in the stats portion but man we needed every one of those yards, man, they were so imperative in this game, especially the ones after contact. I mean, even when they weren't breaking tackles, they were shifty and powerful enough to keep defenders out of their, you know, figurative strike zone so they could spin off or forward lean to get the extra yard or two or three. The second possession, second play, Jeff Wilson is dead to right at the line of scrimmage, but he gets three extra yards just fighting through the tackle. It goes from third and seven to third and four, and we get a conversion to Tyreek on the very next play. So going from punting out of our own end zone to a first down at your own 24, it's the fine margins like that that are going to win games like this for you so important and we got a bunch of them like that in this game and then the seven yard run from Savon Ahmed I would argue the best blocks we've seen all year from two guys Durham Smythe and Rob Jones you get split flow from Smythe and he wipes out the edge and watch the tape he gets up pumped up fist pumping after the play and then Rob Jones pulls in and squares up the force defender and really gave Savon all the room he had to work with just a little bit longer held on the block by Eichenberg and Savon could have popped that one for a bigger gain but either way it put him in range for a field goal at receiver you know Tyreek had his catches early in the game two of them were big ones too on the first couple of drives the route on the second grab was was premier player stuff because he actually opens up on his original route but doesn't quit on the play as Skyler scrambles and it's kind of a fire drill at that point and what does he do what does he do besides follow his quarterback to the sideline and as the Jets corner follows him there he then keeps going turns up field and it puts the defenders back to the quarterback and Skyler sticks it right on Tyreek so great scramble drill all along and a quick side bar Tyreek's blocking downfield and Smythe on the jet sweep to waddle to start the second half was absolutely awesome the keys of the play I also thought the defensive pass interference on the third down shot 
uh, into the end zone where he was picked up by a linebacker, or rather should have been DPI. It was close, but he ran through the catch point and didn't find the football the linebacker did. And I note that because it was a good job by Tyreek coming back to the football but he didn't get the call. And I'm surprised there was, wasn't more laundry. The Jets play pretty aggressive and grab a lot, but they didn't seem to call it very often, although it happened a lot in this game. And Waddle, man, there's a play on third and eight where he sells uh, DJ Reed on the takeoff and then breaks it back out of the uh, to the deep out and angles back to the quarterback. It's a really impressive route, but the ball winds up going elsewhere. And that was kind of the story of this game. I thought Waddle and Tyreek were open a few times and didn't get the next, uh, didn't get the targets. On the very next possession, he turns Sauce Gardner around on another brilliant route, man. Safety help to the boundary where I, I sent this clip to OJ, and he's like, that ball, that, that corner had no idea the ball was coming there because based upon the pre-snap alignment and the coverage, that ball should have not gone there. And uh, so he turns around Gardner with safety help to the boundary where he's lined up, and it allows Gardner to play trail technique, and trying to run routes back to the quarterback on trail technique is about the hardest thing a receiver can do. You have to convince him that you're going vertical and get him to flip his hips and, and start getting vertical himself, which Jalen does with in, you know, an inside release against outside leverage, which is also tough, but you immediately see him close distance, like lean into Gardner, because it's easier to create separation when there's a shorter distance between you and your man because he has to wait longer to react because you're so close to him, and he just leans into him and breaks off the route that way. Just the way his his knowledge of leverage and spacing continues to get better was on display on that play. Then he fights through contact, and it's a hold if you ask me. Again, no flag. And then angles his route back to Skyler and makes a huge catch on third down to set the Dolphins up in the red zone. Then on the game-winning drive, that catch to come back to the football and make the snag and some traffic going to the ground and stay beyond the sticks. What a player, man. Jalen Waddle is some kind of player. I thought Gesicki's... Uh, strength of his hands and contested catchability on the 32-yard play was such a big difference in this game for field position. You see Skyler's arm get hit, and Mike is Johnny on the spot. Ball goes right to him, but the catch through contact was most impressive. That had pass breakup written all over it, but good strong hands there from 88. Uh, Eric Ezukama, Jeff Wilson has an 11-yard run on a stretch play in the first quarter, and Eze hit the block and stayed on it all the way down the field. You saw good blocks from receivers all game long here, which is usually the case when you run for more than a buck fifty. Speaking of blocking on the perimeter, Sherfield does it every single week. That little short motion, return motion to crack back on crack toss for Wilson coming around the edge for a gain of five on second and six. It was the key block there, and he has so many plays where he is the key blocker down the field. Just in general, wanted to mention the second field goal drive, the opening of the second half, and how I thought the designs in the running game, in addition to all the blocking, did a good job to kind of fool the Jets front and take advantage of their aggressiveness with some whams and some inviting guys up the field and using some reverse action, some end around, some, you know, going after the edges, which was a big focus for us on the game preview. And Miami got a bunch of yards in that area. And then just also the common themes on some chunk runs. It's Rob Hunt blowing up defenders. It's Connor Williams hitting tough reach blocks where he has to, you know, beat pre-snap leverage that's not in his favor and holding those blocks long enough. Raheem Mostert refusing to go down and then key blocks at the point of attack by Alec Ingold. There's obviously other factors, but those are pretty regular occurrences on the big runs. On the fourth down and five uh, run play conversion, a huge one in this game 
Uh, what a play that was. First, Sherfield coming from the field to the boundary in motion. Miami had five to block five to that weak side, and that's what you got. Craycraft, successful crack seal. Williams, another clutch reach block to seal the one shade on his outside shoulder. Rob Hunt wipes out a linebacker completely out of the play. Sherfield holds his block down the field, and Branchell goes out and makes just enough of a block to give Wilson that lane that he hit at top gear and didn't slow down to move the sticks. A great call, great execution. A first down that was a massive shift in the game. In fact, my Yahoo Sports app, in terms of win probability, Miami's went from 58% to 66% after that play. Huge, huge moment, and they executed. And just a few plays later on the reverse toss to Raheem, again, Sherfield, Craycraft, Williams, with a convoy taking out all three Jets on the perimeter and a chance to make a play. And then Raheem finishes the run for a big-time uh, you know, trip into the red zone and eventual field goal there. So the offense, you know, Running game was, was fun to watch. Passing game was a bit of a slog fest, but we'll see what they have next week. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back on the other side and do the defensive film review. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Back here on a Tuesday wild card round weekend coming up. Let's go ahead and talk about week 18 one last time, though, and get to the defensive film breakdown here. And I really enjoyed watching this front all year long. The run defense has been so good. 20 carries, 38 yards for the Jets in this game. And it usually looks like this. Front side stacks it up and holds the point, and someone backside wins with quickness and pursues it and chases it down from the backside to make the play. And it happened consistently on Sunday. Christian Wilkins has made both of these plays a million times. Zach Sealer involved in that as well. The entire edge, Raekwon, John Jenkins, they all have a part in making these plays. And I think the pass rush has been really good too. I just hope we get a chance to see the same lineup up front next year with a healthier or improved cornerback room, whatever the case may be, the path to improving the coverage on the back end. I want to see this pass rush have a chance in this run game, have a chance to be paired with really good coverage on the back end because I think you could get something special. And I think that's the key to sparking more turnovers like we had the last couple of years. Good coverage, good play up front. That's how you create splash plays. We've got one part of that really down pat. If we can get healthier or improved next year, Maybe we get a return of that with the offense playing like it can. And then, gosh, the the uh, the roof is the ceiling, as they say. Let's talk about Zach Sealer, a play where he has a three technique with a hesitation step and shuffle crossover step upfield where he fakes out the left guard. He just has a bunch of different clubs in the bag to get immediate wins like he has right here. And he faked the left guard all the way out to get that, that lane opened up for an early stuff along with Eric Rowe, who just continues to make plays in the running game, scraping in tight to the formation to pair up for a tackle for loss. On the Jets' first field goal, Sealer had a pass rush on third down in the red zone where he literally got there the moment Flacco pulled it back off of play action off the mesh point, but somehow still got the pass out and completed it. I don't know how he does this. He had a few of these throws in this game and like that scramble play where he threw it getting tackled in the end zone, the ball comes out of his hand and like it like changes the trajectory mid-flight just go back and watch it like the way Flacco was throwing those balls from those pressure situations was kind of unlike anything I've seen and he has a, a definitely unique arm talent his entire career he's had that but you saw it in this game to, to kind of mitigate some potential big splash plays from the Dolphins defense and the fact that he completed them not just got rid of them was frustrating 
Sealer, by my count, had four immediate wins in the first half, two against the run, two against the pass. Big-time player. Speaking of big-time players, let's talk about Jalen Phillips' game. Seven pressures, four quarterback hits. His first hit is the Jets' first possession, the second, third down of that possession, and he just walks the right tackle right into Joe Flacco's lap and actually has a hit on Flacco before the football even comes out. It's It caused a total miss from the quarterback, which is awesome, but I still don't understand how he didn't get a forced fumble in the game because Flacco... Not turning it over against that unrelenting pressure was absolutely wild. It happened all game long, and Wilkins got a piece of that ball. Uh, on the deflection as well. Back to Phillips, though. The next big shot was late second quarter. He blasts Flacco on a third down completion where the back broke a tackle to make the sticks, but Phillips chucks the tight end, and then you see that acceleration as he closes to the quarterback. Man, he's been good all year. You see that acceleration we mentioned on the tackle for loss against the run on the Jets' opening drive of the second half as well. Like, beat your man and then angle in close, flatten with a full sprint to beat the back to his aiming point. It happened time and time again. His best chance for a sack was thwarted by the holding call that he caused because he crosses left tackle's face without anybody there to pick him up. A free run down the B gap on the quarterback. It was the play that we challenged and lost. He was clean to Flacco and the left tackle yanked him down. To me, that's as good as a sack. 10-yard loss, even though you don't get the loss of down, but 10 yards is a big deal. The tackle for loss he had at the start of the fourth quarter just got off the snap faster than everybody else and met the running back and smacked him for a huge TFL at that point in the red zone. Christian Wilkins, you know, got a couple of uh, tip passes in this game, had two run stuffs early. He just continues to make plays, man. He is so dang good. And the way he beats these tackles and guards with quickness never ceases to amaze me. He's truly a scheme transcendent player. Doesn't really matter what you ask him to do. He can do it. The first play, second half, Wilkins lets the right tackle kind of condense him into the wash. And then once he sees the running back fold it back, he just discards the man and makes the play. It happened time and time and time again. Nearly got that forced fumble there late in the game. They they fell back on it, but he just makes these plays where he knifes in and meets the running back where they're not expecting it in route to 98 tackles this year, the most by a defensive tackle since 1994. Raekwon made a couple of, or any defensive lineman rather, Raekwon Davis made a couple of big plays in the running game in the second quarter. One, a toss play where the back tried to bend it back, but Raekwon broke down in the gap and made the play. Same with John Jenkins. He just got off blocks and was a really nice uh, pursuing, you know, tackler. I thought in this game, I thought Jerome Baker beat blocks as well as he has all year in this one. He's really played his best football down the stretch. That coverage on the wheel route to Conklin was just choice, man. No panic, stayed in phase, didn't interfere. Perfect. Also, the challenge we won was him and Phillips beating the back and right tackle straight away. Without that pressure, Flacco probably could have stepped into that throw and made it. But because of Bake and Phillips winning immediately, I don't think he could. I just think Van Ginkle is as consistent as they come. He plays the same game like every week. It feels like it at least. That's a solid do-your-job effort. Set strong edges, find routes, not grass when you're falling into coverage. Take advantage when they put a tight end on you in pass rush game. Just solid all the way around. Alain Roberts made that huge play on the screen at the end of the half just by recognizing screen action and anticipating the route of the running back there. Big-time play where the preparation meets, meets his tenacity. He did get uh, put on his butt on one play, though, by... Um, uh, the other tight end, Jeremy Rucker, in this game. Melvin Ingram, just appreciation for him. He speeds up the clock on critical downs and those pass rush situations for quarterbacks every single week. I also want to talk about Cater Kohu and his hips, which is the best part of his game for my money. The way he transitions from squared up to crossover step to contend with quick turns like slants, for instance, is so impressive. Second play of the game, you see him on the balls of his feet, jam, recognize the route, flip the hips, stay on that upfield shoulder to reach around the front and contest for an incompletion. And that 
that wasn't the end of it for him. This dude draws their best receiver in Garrett Wilson on a slot fade with no safety help. I'm not sure there's a tougher route to cover in football. And by the way, Xavier gets a legendary jam on Corey Davis in this play as well. There's not much to break down for Cater. Just stays in phase and plays the man without panic when the ball comes into the air and makes a play on the ball for an incomplete pass. Next drive, they run a rub for a little square in route to Corey Davis and Cater plays through the pick and again comes underneath for a pass breakup. What a game for him. And of course, the open field tackle on that third down before the game winning drive as well. He did get hit with another flag for defensive pass interference. I thought it was unnecessary. That's the next phase in his development. Don't panic so much when you think you're beat down the field. Uh, that stick by Keon Crossing to cut the Jets short of a first down was excellent recognition. You see him start covering the two from a bunch set, passes it off immediately, and fires out of his back pedal to close on the hookup and make a tackle short of the sticks. Maybe I like him more in zone coverage. Smart football, good execution. Javon Holland's ability to get either vertical or vertical to either side, like fielder boundary from his cover one post position is crazy. The reaction and pair with closing speed is rare, rare stuff. Also, his pass rush, a rare one as well this season. Uh, he got a hand on that ball and, and saved potentially a pretty big play there. I think Rose insertion into the run fit every single week stands out. What a tough dude. He gets in there and makes plays every single week. Thought X had a really rough game. That first play, man, like Wilson sold him a bill of goods in the takeoff and was just way too easy coming back on the stem. You had Cater and Crossing in good shape, but X was not in good position. And I don't get it with that five-man rush against a team that has really minimal vertical game and an offensive line full of backups. I feel like the idea is make them beat you deep. I don't know. But the transitions at the top of the routes looked awfully slow all game long alongside Garrett Wilson. Now, the rep against Wilson that he caught but then dropped was really good work by X there. Inside hand jam, kept that hand there to kind of feel the receiver as you locate the football, play it, rake it out, incomplete pass. As far as the defense, there are just too many instances for me of guys coming on rushes that don't make an impact. Uh, they hit Corey Davis for a nice catch and run at the beginning of the second quarter. And Jerome Baker comes on delayed blitz where he never had a chance to do anything. Like, he just wasting a position like 10 guys out there if he just bluffs that rush and falls back into the hook zone maybe he can impact the play but I don't know I just it's something that stands out kind of weakly here on the tape let's get to the stats real quick before we go to the third segment here from Mike McDaniel we're going to do end of regular season stats from PFF next gen and all the stuff we normally cover here that'll be on tomorrow's show for now let's go ahead and focus on the Jets game independently Skylar Thompson 20 plus yard air yards two for three 58 yards how big were those at flipping the field in the field position game by the way uh, intermediate not so good 10 uh, 10 to 19 yard range two for five 26 yards when he was blitzed he was two for four with negative two yards also had a sack and under pressure eight for 16 for 100 and that was also the sack there he averaged 3.04 time to throw with a depth of target average of 6.7 that is crazy uh, low for how long of the ttt that was I think the most impressive number for him in this game was the fact that he was under pressure 18 of 33 dropbacks and took one sack and did not turn the ball over the running backs, Raheem Mostert forced six missed tackles, had 3.82 yards after contact on average, 42 total, and had three 10-plus yard runs. Wilson forced four missed tackles, uh, 3.31 yards after contact, 53 total, and also had three 10-plus yard runs. Smythe led the way with uh, three yards per route ran on average, 7.8 yards per target. Gasicki had 9.2 per target, and then Waddle and Tyreek had lows this, this week. Uh, 1.42 yards per route ran for for Jalen, 0.88 for Tyreek, just 8.8 yards per target for Waddle and just 4.6 for uh, Tyreek, but good on him for gutting it out. He was definitely injured, you know, or kind of getting through something with the angle this 
ankle in this game. And he also created a bunch of space for that big play for Gasicki. So good on him for, for playing hard to the end. Pressures allowed. Little three. Eichenberg won on 29 pass block snaps. Didn't play the whole game. Connor Williams had three. Rob Jones and Rob Hunt both had zero. Brandon Shell had five on 28 pass block snaps. And they gave two to Smythe and one to Jeff Wilson. Uh, runs to the right. A, B, and C gaps. 18 runs for 74 yards. On defense, seven pressures for Phillips. Three for Sealer. Two for Baker. Five guys had one. Flacco had an average time to throw of 2.36 seconds. That's not the lowest single game total, but for context, Tom Brady has the fastest TTT this year, and that's 2.45 seconds via next gen. So yeah, Flacco was getting that thing out like a hot potato all game long. Run stops. Wilkins, Baker, and E-Rob had three. Holland, Sealer, Phillips, Duke, and Rowe all had two. Five guys had one. Coverage snaps and yards allowed. X, 35, and 95. Uh, Kohu, 35 and negative 13. The only completion was a lateral play. They were one for five targeting Cater Kohu. Javon, 33 snaps, 23 yards. Cross in 20 snaps, five yards. McKinley and Rowe both played 18 coverage snaps apiece and were not targeted. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there and come back on the other side, do snap counts and Mike McDaniel's Monday media availability. That's next. Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Segment number three on a Tuesday, and as we do weekly here, we pick it up with the snap counts before we hear from head coach Mike McDaniel and his Monday afternoon press conference. A lot of shuffling on the offensive line, dealing with some injuries. We had uh, three three guys go the wire, 65 snaps for Greg Little, Robert Hunt, and Connor Williams. That also true of Skylar Thompson. Liam Eichenberg missed just seven snaps before he turned to the lineup, and Brandon Shell played 53, so he missed 12 snaps in the game, and that will give you Rob Jones for a total of 19 snaps in the game. At wide receiver, Jalen Waddell led the way, 75% of the workload. Tyreek Hill gave you 66%, and Trent Sherfield 65%, with River Craycraft playing 15 snaps, good for 23%. And Ezukama played 10 snaps in the game as well. At running back, Jeff Wilson led the way, 42 snaps. That was 65% of the workload. And Raheem Mostert was next with 37%, 24 snaps in the game. Alec Ingold played just 14 snaps. It's, that, it's tough to play that position with a, a club on your hand, but kudos to Ingold for, for gutting it out and getting out there. Oh, Savon Ahmed also played four snaps in the game. And then at tight end, Durham, 46 snaps. Gasicki, 25 snaps. We've seen that kind of two-to-one balance here uh, in recent weeks. And then Hunter Long played 11 snaps at the tight end position. On defense, three players went the distance. Javon Holland, Cater Kohu, Xavier Howard. That's pretty standard for those guys. And I can't believe this is standard, but it is for Christian Wilkins. 50 snaps is 89% of the workload. That's the same number as Jerome Baker played in the game. Just crazy. Zach Sealer, again, same standard, 45 snaps for him. Jalen Phillips, similar, 48 for him. Uh, let's see, Willis on the defensive line. Raekwon Davis played 29. That's half the snaps in this game. John Jenkins played 10 snaps in the game and then off the edge of the linebacker position back to that spot. Ingram played 55% of the reps. Uh, Van Ginkle was 40%. Bradley Chubb played just 18 snaps for 32% in the game. And then as far as your off-ball linebackers go, uh, Roberts gave you 61% of the workload behind Jerome Baker's 89%. We saw a Duke rally for 36% of the snaps. And then in the secondary, oh, Sam Eggelbaum gave you one snap. In the secondary, finishing up with Keon Cross and playing 46% of the snaps. So you get the two primary corners, kind of a third safety being used frequently in there is kind of the big nickel position as well, which is how you wind up with Eric Rowe playing uh, 57% of the snaps in total. And then also at the position, Verone McKinley, 38% of the snaps. 
and Elijah Campbell gave you 10 snaps and Clayton Fedgelin gave you one as well. Let's go ahead and pick it up with Mike McDaniel's Monday press conference. And we started off here with a question about the quarterback availability. Let's go ahead and play a couple of those answers here. Coach talking about Tua, Teddy, and Skyler. Is there some hope for Monday or for next Sunday? We'll see. Yes. So um, has not been cleared for that level yet. I'm hoping to, with uh, all three active roster quarterbacks, um, they all ha- have injury-related um, concerns. I'm hoping to have some clarity um, on Wednesday. Um, but as of right now, it's literally the same, if not more vague, than when I just saw you guys last. Saw most of you guys last. Him saying he doesn't know about that process was asking if Tua had been cleared to throw yet. Here's further clarification on uh, Tua's status and where he's at currently. Um, I, I don't know exactly what goes on. I do know there's um, – uh, I've seen him post uh, post uh, whatever that time's called, and he's sweating. I know there there's – so um, two and two together. I try not to – I try to stay in my level of ex- expertise because, again, the primary concern um, is that we lean on medical professionals for this uh, these medical opinions – and I don't want to influence by over-asking or trying to micromanage what, what the process is. When he's ready to, when, when he's medically cleared to practice, he'll practice. Until then, I'm not doing anything. And so, as Barry Jackson from the Miami Herald was wont to do, asks a great follow-up question. Do you have game plans in place you'll put together tomorrow or today on Tuesday with regards to Tua, Teddy, and Skylar Thompson? Here's Coach about the game planning for a game when you really don't know who the quarterback's going to be. You know, yeah, that I, I think that's the, you know, um, you're playing a, a division opponent who you're pretty familiar with, who you just played um, a couple weeks ago. Um, that gives you a little liberty to have um, some variance in your plan for each particular co- quarterback. And then um, when you get concrete clarity, um, you have – one direction um, for your entire team to kind of go by, and that's what you stick with. Coach gave us updates as well on Raheem Mostert, who had a bad broken thumb, he told us, and will have to get surgery this week and his availability. It doesn't seem very likely, but he said he wouldn't put anything past Raheem Mostert uh, to get that thumb ready to go, but we'll see about him. Same kind of situation for Teron Armstead and Brandon Shell taking it right up to the game, he said. He did say both guys have unknown statuses. Both have exceeded expectations this year with regards to their timelines. It'll be more late week fun for the Miami Dolphins in the injury report. Uh, talked about Tyreek and Jalen saying toughest, some of the toughest players he's been around, and he believes they'll both be able to put themselves in position to be able to go on Sunday. And then was asked about the difference between regular season games and a playoff game. Here's Coach talking about just that. I think, I think, we, I think the team gained a bunch of valuable experience with this uh, end of the season stretch. A lot of the team hadn't been um, exposed to uh, significant primetime games they they had not only um, a lot of exposure they had they had um, uh, failed expectations which is tough and then the biggest thing is win or go home that you feel in the playoffs and that's definitely what they felt like yesterday they they knew that was the case so um, those are the biggest mountains that I was worried about outside of that um, yet you know it's going to be important for me to uh, for those guys that haven't played in the playoff, uh, playoff game to remind them of the most obvious thing in the world that 
is probably the thing that comes up the strongest, especially with young teams in playoffs, is that it's a football game. So you prepare for it um, to give your best effort, but you don't have to do things outside of yourself for the outcome that you want to exist. So you, you have to make sure that guys don't press. Um, I, I, I would have been a lot more nervous had we not had a, um, a playing game um, just uh, last Sunday for at least a, a, a taste because it is different. One more here we'll go ahead and finish up with about a question that was posed to Mike about how the team was kind of riding high at a certain point of this season. The press clippings were really good and fun to, to read about, and now no one's really giving you a chance heading into Buffalo on Sunday. Here's Coach talking about that element of it, expectations, and how the players should approach things. Here's Coach. Yeah, I think you learn that um, it's cool when it's favorable. It's not as cool when it's not favorable. I think you learn that none of it matters, that, that like you have control over the narrative and it's generally um, retroactive or it's the, the narrative uh, can be controlled by your actions on the field and you just worry about your actions on the field. I think um, I would, again, be more worried uh, about either way had we not gone through the, the um, huge highs and lows. I think there is a positive in that, um, in, in that you uh, you really get to feel um, what it's like to possibly. I'm not saying anyone did, but like your guard is down when people are singing your praises, and it gets old when people are telling you how bad you are. Um, both things are uh, very natural consequences of black and white results it will always be that way you'll be praised when you win and um people will be critical when you lose when you lose why because people care so (laughs) and you know what's even more maddening when you're winning or losing games is when you really care about something and can't control it so henceforth there's always going to be a reaction either way and i think that the more people live through that the better they can circumvent that and not make it any part of the equation um, when there's a job to do and they only have each other to rely on to do that job. All right, there you go. You can find that press availability in its entirety up on the team YouTube channel. In the meantime, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Fish Tank Podcast, check them out. Our post-game show on 560, check that out. Go ahead and dive into the international podcast on the network and, of course, again, the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, Drive Time and Fish Tank content, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, Daddy.